0: Trees are
1: patient. Welcome to The Inner Game. I'm Gwen Garcelon, your host. Thanks for listening today. The Inner Game is about how we nurture and attend to our mind, body, spirit health, and how that allows us to play a bigger game and make a bigger contribution in the area of purpose that calls to us. And these are conversations with people who are committed to making an evolutionary difference with their lives, from a place of balance and love and service. I am delighted to get to speak with someone I've known for 25 years, my dear friend Lori Herrick, whose new book is called Choose Abundance, about how to create what Lori calls a culture of philanthropy to transform nonprofit fundraising in truly evolutionary ways. Lori and I work together in the movement to end hunger and poverty and in 2002, she founded Rainmaker Consulting to help more nonprofits create, quote, unpredictable positive results. That's from her website and a beautiful description of what she and her team does. Lori is also a triathlete and a glassblower and one of those human beings I'm so very glad is on the planet doing what they are doing. Thanks so much for being here today, Lori. It is
2: my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me,
1: Gwen. You know, I was listening to a podcast with Brene Brown recently, where she shared a definition of spirituality that I wanted to share with you. She says, quote, It's a deeply held belief that we're inextricably connected to each other by something greater than us that is rooted in love and compassion, unquote. And I believe that thing... That is greater than us is the quantum reality of our oneness, that we are inextricably all in this together in the evolving experience of being human. And in your book, you share that philanthropy means love of humankind. I love knowing that. You know, and having known you for many years, it occurs to me that. This is really your sole purpose, to support the beauty and the best in mankind, humankind. And I wonder if that resonates with you, or how that resonates with you.
2: Yeah, it resonates with me deeply. As a matter of fact, I've sometimes gotten some pushback of using the word philanthropy because we so often think about philanthropy as super rich individuals. But I love that Greek root gender-neutral lives, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is the love of humankind, because I believe that people choose to go on the path to work with not-for-profit organizations, either as staff or as volunteers, because they want to make the world better. And when we really honor that, people's intentions about, are about making the world better, then we give our time, we we give our resources, our ideas and our money and whatever it is that we happen to have in abundance and bring it to the table. And to me, that is a, a calling, right? It's something that I really am very committed to is inspiring that by helping organizational leaders foster that within their communities. Mm. So, yeah, it's right on for me. And I think it is truly I, I love you calling it a, a, a soul purpose. I love the idea of it being something that's deep in the heart, and it is for me, absolutely. And it's why I wrote the book, and it's why I I do this work.
1: And just to dig a little deeper into that, I, I believe that the evolutionary force is love. And whenever we put love at the center of our actions and personal growth, we get evolutionary results. Have you experienced that through through your consulting and what you share in the book?
2: Yes, absolutely. I think that sometimes, well, very specifically, around money, there is so much baggage culturally. And when we, first of all, observe and notice that baggage and that conversation and those cultural norms that we um, very often can't see because we're in that culture, when we start to really um, recognize what it is that people think about money and think about fundraising and we choose a more powerful interpretation of it, one which has to do with really this love of humankind, right? Mm-hmm. If we start to shift to that, then it is a, a true evolution in my mind and it and we kind of shift our particles to be, aiming for something more transformative more meaningful and and then our actions follow that right so instead of being doing some of the things that sometimes happen in fundraising that aren't so great like just walking up and asking somebody without them having and without having any relationship or connection or understanding of what they're passionate about right if it's just about the ask so to speak mm-hmm. then um, then that's not particularly evolved, but it becomes evolved when we are authentically engaging with somebody and working with them um, to find their passion and to see if there's a match between what they're committed to and what the organization's committed to.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That's a kind of specific example of it, but
1: yeah, beautiful.
2: Yeah,
1: you know, one thing I <clears throat> I've been realizing. Um, you know, and kind of digging into your work, and it's been so fun to get to do that. Um, you know, just realizing that abundance consciousness is evolutionary; it resides in the prefrontal prefrontal cortex. You know, the more recently evolved part of the brain that provides creative problem solving, reasoning, concentration impulse control. You know, the more primitive part of the brain is the brain stem and the brainstem and the amygdala. And, you know, when faced faced with a stressful situation, the amygdala can hijack the brain's response mechanism and knock out the prefrontal cortex. So just knock it right offline. So we go into fight or flight, which keeps us alive but not evolving so the primitive brain is is wired for scarcity because its its role is rooted in survival keeping us alive and in this world of you know like threat and stuff but you know abundance consciousness is you know having that evolutionary um part of, you know, being part of a a newer part of our evolutionary physiology as human beings. You know, it's just, it's exciting that these practices that you outline in your book are actually helping us to evolve. That's so huge. Mm -hmm. What's your reaction to that? that? (laughs) (laughs) I love that.
2: I love the brain science, which I, you know, I've read a little about it, but I don't know a lot about the brain Science, to be honest with yeah. you, but what you said makes total sense. Mm. Um, it it really scarcity thinking is a knee jerk reaction that we all have sometimes, right? And the not knowing that it's happening to us and just thinking that it's the truth <laughs> with a big capital T is the problem. If we can stop ourselves and recognize, wow, I am totally going into, you know, fight or flight mode. I'm totally just trying to survive this one. And if we can back off of that and do what's most meaningful, again, what's most authentic and what seems logical. And, you know, to put this into fundraising practical terms for a second, that it's not unusual if you're a member of the board of an organization, then you might get asked to um, to write a friends and family letter. And so, at first, that seems to make sense. So, you write this generic kind of letter and saying, this, this cause is so important to me. And then, if the, you know, development person, uh, you know, is doing their job, then what their next step is going to be is to say, all right, now make your list of who you would send it to. Okay, now go send those. And what happens is, very often... People abandon, right? And they don't they don't do that. You know, they stop. They they don't wanna do it. And in a way, it is a good instinct because if you haven't talked to your cousin Katie in two years, sending a solicitation letter just doesn't make any sense, right? Right. So there's a level that our I think our guts can tell us when something isn't authentic. But the other thing that happens is that we go towards the logical idea that we're just going to go ask, right? So somehow, gosh, why won't those board members just go ask their friends and family to give to our organization is really misguided and really does not uh, address the human connection and the deep partnership and, as you call it, the oneness of people, right, that we, that this Recognition that we all want the world to be a better place, and how can we come from that and have a human conversation with somebody that would take logical steps? Like, if I want my cousin Katie to do something, then I have a conversation with Katie and talk to her about what it is that my organization does and ask her if she's interested, and she either is or she isn't. And then we start a dance, so to speak, where we, you know, share what we care about and. Look at if there is a match between what we're up to, and if it is, then eventually there might be an appropriate time to ask her to give her time or her money or resources in some way. But it's it's much more small steps,
1: right? And and those small steps are actually the big steps of getting connected as human beings, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, for those just joining, this is Gwen Garcelon, and you're listening to the Inner Game on Katie and Kay. I'm talking with Lori Herrick, author of Choose Abundance, about how to create a culture of philanthropy to transform nonprofit fundraising. And I just wanted to dig into a little bit about that. I feel like this has critical implications know, your work with choosing abundance, implications to the predicament we find ourselves in regarding climate change. Because in the quantum reality of our world, where we are inextricably connected, even our thoughts and words and feelings in each moment are creating the future. So the story we are telling ourselves about what is possible as we face these existential threats to the experience of life on our planet, that story and the feelings that go along with it is actually generating the future. And people should know that you were one of the people who trained with Al Gore to lead community events on An Inconvenient Truth, like, like 16 years ago now, right? Yeah. And there's something that you share in your book called generative language. It's one of the three laws of performance. There's a book written about that and a whole yeah. set of practices around that. And you say in the book... When I truly understood that generative language can create a new future, I felt as if I'd been sleeping and suddenly woke up to a new possibility. Instead of money as a barrier to what I was committed to, I saw money as a conduit to the world that works for everyone. And that world that works for everyone is that you know amazing vision of a, a thriving world where we all have our needs met and... And are deeply connected to the natural world that makes it all possible. And I wondered if you could just talk a little bit about using generative language and the the possibilities of that even beyond fundraising.
2: Yeah. So there's so much in what you just said there, Gwen. Yeah, I feel like I, I could <laughs> know. I know. Could, I could go in, in a number of directions. So if you don't mind, I'm gonna tell a story about myself in use of generative language. Yes. I had an experience early on in my career. I uh, had come to fundraising from a sales background, but wanted desperately to be selling the end of hunger in results, the organization that you and I had at that point both volunteered for. Um, And I virtually begged my way into the job because I so wanted to be Selling that instead of stuff that I didn't really care about and I got there and it first it went really well and then it didn't go so well and I wasn't re- reaching my goal and I was um under a lot of pressure because I realized that if I didn't reach the goal that it was going to mean layoff and that was very clear to me because I, I was actually you know I was told that we were going to have to have layoffs. So I started to I, – I knew that it was $40,000 I needed to raise, and I went to the, my go-to donor, which it sort of says something about my lack of experience he had actually just given recently, and he declined at that point, and I got off the phone in my call with him and, and cried, which is uh, not something I recommend for fundraisers. But nonetheless, I, I didn't know what to do, and I went to my boss and said – you know, maybe I'm the one who should go because I don't know how to do this. And she was the person who suggested that I reach out to Lynn Twist. It was someone that she knew, and I um, and I had the opportunity to bring Lynn to a training uh, for results for the organization that um, that I was working with. And we got trained on what it meant to um, deal with uh, how to how to be better at fundraising, but mostly to look at the prevailing uh, culture of scarcity that exists. And so in that um, conversation, I had heard recently about an organization that had gotten a million dollar donor. And I essentially raised my hand and said, we should have a million dollar donor. And she asked me if I was going to take a stand for that and throw my hat over the fence. And I, I didn't know what she meant, but it sounded like, oh boy, how am I going to... How am I going to do this, right? I, I couldn't even raise this $40,000. How could I possibly get a million-dollar gift? And she said, this is how you do it, Lori. She said, if you take a stand, first of all, there's no guarantee that you'll get it, but you've got a good shot at it, a way better shot than if you don't take a stand for it. And, um, but you should have somebody who believes in you, someone who she, she named a, a committed listener, somebody who to get behind me and say, yes, we can do this. Somebody who wasn't saying, oh, you're crazy, you can't do that. Um, And so I decided to try it and to put it out there, even though it seemed so outrageous to me. And so I found somebody, um, and he and I would run together. He was a volunteer and a donor already to results. And we would brainstorm rich people, just sort of like I, you know, the definition of philanthropy that I gave before. That was my thought. Okay, I just need to find somebody to save us. But nonetheless, what happened was each time that we would run together and check in with one another, we both really got deeply in touch with what it would mean if this organization had a million dollar gift. And it inspired the heck out of both of us. And each time, though, we would not really make any progress between meetings. Not much was happening. And so um, one time we got together to run, and I could see that he was just, you know, smiling ear to ear. He had something up, and I didn't know what it was. And he said, I'm your million-dollar donor. I was blown away. I had no idea that um, they have, he and his wife had the capacity to do that. And they made an annual pledge at that time of um, $100,000 a year for the next 10 years.
1: So Amazing.
2: I know. It was, it was really extraordinary. And so there were a bunch of things that I learned out of that, one of which was the thing that you just mentioned. But I'm going to say the first thing I got that was probably the very most important was that my mindset had been in the way of my fundraising success that my way of looking at things, my scarcity thinking had been in the way. And by throwing my hat over the fence, over the fence, I was taking a stand and that's generative. That's not coming from the past. It's it's based on a, like a declaration. We can do this. And this is what we're going to take on. And I, um, and having somebody who believes in me. So how I think, all of this applies to anybody. And I, I've had numerous people, as I've told that story, have said, I'm, I'm going to throw my hat off the fence regarding X. Taking a stand for something not based on history, past failures, uh, skepticism, uh, all of those things that, you know, that we have come up in our organizations like we tried that before, you know, all of that kind of language um, and using something that is for, that that's about creating something fresh, new outside of the box um, is totally transformative. For me it changed my life's trajectory because I saw that I had the possibility of enrolling somebody like this donor in a vision for the organization. And he, likewise, saw himself as a player on another domain, you know, to a, to a greater extent than he ever had before. Mm. And that was pretty extraordinary for, for him as well. And he would say the same thing. And he has really taken on, taken on leadership on many levels. With um, with a lot of important work, so I don't know if I fully answered all of the pieces of your question, but I would say for sure, being generative is transformational, and we're going to need those types of solutions, whether uh, regarding climate change or ending hunger or healthcare, um, or or even things like the arts and beauty and music and creativity and all of the things that make our world a better
1: place. Yeah. It feels like it's about enrolling ourselves and I- in the process, others in a vision where there's yeah. no guarantee, there's no guarantee for it, but the the piece that's non-negotiable is just to be all in around it. Yes.
2: Yeah. yeah. And you know, that also Glenn, if I may, it, is really where the title of the book comes from, is this Choose Abundance, that it's about making a choice. And when we realize that we're at choice about, about abundance, which to me is about gratitude, it's about recognizing the richness around us, and mm. I don't mean dollars, mm. I mean... Beauty, nature, yeah. human connection, all of the resources that we all bring to any organization. And the thing that is interesting, sometimes people will say, I'm not hearing you talk a lot about the money. Because the thing is, is that if you focus on, not as an in order to, but as, as a very intentional thing, if you focus on the abundance that's already right in front of you. And you treat people like the abundance that they are and that they have, then the financial stuff will follow. Mm. But you have to be authentic about wanting to discover the wealth that all of us can bring to any organization or cause that we're committed
1: to. Mm. That is a beautiful place to wrap up. Thanks so much, Lori, for articulating that. And thank you, listeners, for being with us today. If you have a question for Lori or me, you can join the Facebook page at The Inner Game. and We'd love to hear your feedback and ideas. And you can get a copy of Lori's book at a discount at chooseabundancebook.com with the coupon code INSIDER. That's I-N-S-I-D-E-R at chooseabundancebook.com. You can also download a free chapter and decide to start choosing abundance to transform your own life and the causes that are sacred to you. Until next time, choosing abundance is always available to you and will always create possibilities beyond your imagining.
2: Thank you, Gwen.
0: are crashing, rivers churning, planets twirling, stars ablaze, storms are raging, atoms whirling, you my child. Blackbirds like wings to tell a story cha